0: with me on this episode of the clinical consult is dr morgan Bavano, staff psychologist in the pediatric psychology consultation service program at the kennedy krieger institute in baltimore maryland to discuss the basics of pediatric psychology consultation dr Bavano provides mental health services across kennedy krieger and the Johns Hopkins Children's Hospital, having previously completed a two-year postdoctoral fellowship at Kennedy Krieger focusing on child and family therapy and, and pediatric psychology consultation, where she worked predominantly with children and adolescents presenting with a variety of different comorbid medical diagnoses. Dr. Bufano is a licensed psychologist in Maryland, and, and Morgan, I'm just so pleased to have you on the program today.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited for our conversation today, Daniel.
0: Before we focus on some of the basics here of pediatric psychology consultation, I want to hear a little bit more about the work you do at Kennedy Krieger. Tell us a little bit about that setting.
1: Sure. So I wanted to start off with a big shout out to all of the people in the healthcare industry right now who are working hard and and help me do my job. As I talk about the different roles, I'll try and highlight how we interact with other disciplines too and differentiate ourselves. So Kennedy Krieger sits in the heart of Baltimore, and it has a close partnership with Johns Hopkins Children's Hospital and also the community. And so Kennedy Krieger provides services for kids with rare medically complex disorders, but then also general mental health disorders for neurodiverse and typically developing children and families. For my role, I work in kind of three levels of healthcare. And so one of, one of them is during inpatient admissions for medical units. And so our program provides consultation to different specialties or different floors depending on the need and then also in the rehab hospital at Kennedy Krieger. And so focusing on transitioning home and improving functioning. And then we also staff a variety of specialty medical clinics. Our current clinic clinics include limb difference, sleep, diabetes, cystic fibrosis, sickle cell, continence, pain and rehabilitation, and brain injury, headache, spina bifida, kind of like across the continuum. So you'll find that Some of the clinics are more diagnosis-specific, and then some of them are more general, um, maybe like problem-specific or referral-concern specific. And then we also provide general outpatient behavioral psychology clinic services for people with medical illness, but also people without chronic conditions. So we talk about things like sleep hygiene, adherence to medical cares, tolerating procedures, kind of... Getting back to your life after you're in recovery, coping with life adjustments, balancing family roles and renegotiating expectations, school avoidance. We kind of do a little bit of everything. (laughs) And then there's also some specialty clinics at Kennedy Krieger that I tend to work really closely with, too, that could specialize in feeding or family dynamics or uh, behavior management.
0: I think that's such great content there. Morgan as you're describing it I I'm, I'm just kind of queuing through my mind how relatable it is to so many psychologists and other mental health p- care providers who might be listening to that and connecting to the scenario where you're describing where you've got you've got a young person a child along with their parent or guardian and their in their family system and they're they're presenting in an inpatient setting and they have maybe a behavioral problem that they're that they're struggling with but it's comorbid with one of the diagnoses that you previously described and maybe there's a sleep hygiene issue for an example of a behavioral concern and and in your role as a health service psychologist you're, you're given that brief period to apply an intervention in kind of that interdisciplinary context in which you're working this doesn't strike me as an easy task
1: no but i like that you picked sleep hygiene sleep and pain um are two of the most common things that we hear about and it, it's interesting because it's something that's, that has a lot of factors that add in. And so a lot of times, whether it's a primary care doc or whether you know it's an oncologist or a cardiac surgeon, you know whoever it is, they might say, hey, I'm working with this family and they're not engaging in treatment or they're not completing the tasks we need. We're not seeing the improvement we would expect. And so then my job becomes, okay, how do I figure out what's getting in the way and more often than not, it's not kind of like this all or nothing. The child is either doing it or not doing it. It's kind of like this inconsistent response. Sometimes they might really like a certain respiratory therapist or a certain provider, or they might respond differently to one parent or, or another caregiver and figuring out how do we make it successful knowing that this child and family needs to thrive across a variety of settings.
0: One area you've talked about previously Morgan has to do with building environments that fit form and function. It struck me as a really interesting idea and I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more to what that means to you as a health service psychologist in your setting.
1: Sure. Um so I try and and keep my my role simple in the beginning. You know, I think when I first was doing training, I had really lofty goals that I was going to come up with these beautiful, comprehensive plans to address all the needs that I heard about. And then I quickly said, okay, what, how do I prioritize that? And one of the most basic ways that I've come to kind of clarify my treatment plan or my intervention is say, okay, what is that initial interaction with that child? And, and how does the environment shape it? And so when I walk into a hospital room, you know, I'm already entering a family's life at a really difficult time. You know, this isn't, although children's hospitals have done their best to, to create a welcoming, um, positive environment. It's not something that, that we would typically put a child in without reason, right? There's some disruption in their life that brought them into the hospital. And so I say, okay, how can we restore some of those interactions that we're missing? And so some common things that we recommend is one we want to make sure they have that schedule we want to make sure they're opening their blinds that if they're safe to get out of bed or that's an appropriate thing to do that they're engaging in the things they would do otherwise because those cues are missing in the hospital you know you're very much contained in your room and sometimes when i meet with kids you know i think it almost feels it feels very sterile and it feels like a spaceship and so how do we kind of break out of that bubble and one of going to talk about it being easy, but it's not easy to do, is you just put things that the child likes around the room. Child life and social work are wonderful allies for pediatric psychologists because they find ways to get the activities and the interests of the patients out. And it might be just kind of like a board that has their name on it or has some coping activities, has something easy. Or it might, you might walk into a room and see that it's all Paw Patrol themed. But Automatically, now as a medical provider, you can walk in and you can talk about, you know, Chase or you can talk about, you know, the soccer team they love, whatever it is. And you get to have a real human interaction as opposed to just a medical provider patient interaction that kind of reinforces that you're sick, you're sick in pain. We know that those medical providers will get that information they need to make good treatment. But making sure that we're treating that whole person is often the first part of my job.
0: And to add to the complexity, I hate to do that, but to add to it just a little bit, I know that as a psychologist, one of the things you're doing is working to integrate a lot of those interventions you're describing within a theoretical orientation, like a CBT approach or or another evidence-based approach. And I don't want to go too far down that road, but I do want to mention that Division 54 of the American Psychological Association, which I, I know, as you're aware, is the Society of Pediatric Psychology provides a number of really helpful resources around building evidence-based practices in the types of situations that I think you're really eloquently describing. I wanna pivot now though, Morgan, to the applicability of the approach you're describing, pediatric psychology consultation to a telepsychological modality and specifically video conferencing. As I'm aware, that's a particularly popular way to to treat patients and work with families uh, under a telepsychology approach. Morgan, tell me a little bit about the telepsych outpatient work you and your colleagues are doing at the Kennedy Krieger Institute.
1: Yeah. And so we quickly had to adapt a lot of the things. And and we as a team have found a way to bridge both our inpatient and outpatient care. We do, luckily, being part of Kennedy Krieger, there was a pre-existing infrastructure of working with Dr. Jen Crockett. Uh, had been doing this program with military families and so we had we had um, accounts and and some ways to kind of onboard patients and connect with providers but in adjusting telehealth to working with children and also children with behavior problems coping issues you know difficulties just starting that initiation and engaging in life we had to get really creative really fast and i think we've I'm hoping we found a good way to do it. One of the first things that I talk with families about when we're just trying to figure out, you know, would this be a good avenue or a modality to do is, you know, what are the expectations of the session and also, you know, the importance of doing it right now. So making sure that if for younger kids that the parents know, okay, We're gonna do a lot of parent family work too to help the child feel comfortable, get engaged, and also give them breaks. And so a lot of times ahead of time, we'll we'll talk about things like dog barkings, or sibling come in, or how to, you know, make sure we know who's going to participate in the session and what materials we need. That's something that I didn't have to do previously when you kind of came into the office and we walked to the room, or I came to their room. It was a very controlled environment. And so that's probably one of the biggest shifts I've found. The other thing is, you know, there's this new added technology. And so when their audio maybe isn't working, but their visuals are working. For me, I try and come up with a way that I can see and hear my patients in every setting because so much of what my intervention and my conceptualization is built on is observing that interaction between family members and also response to intervention. And I find, I've found personally it difficult to do it without that visual cue. I've definitely adapted when I had to. But it's come to terms where maybe I'll have to use um, my office phone for the audio and then I'll be using the telehealth service for the video or going finding a location that is less disruptive so that I can hear the family and we can kind of stay on topic and have a, a really good session.
0: Let me mention also for our listeners that the National Register and here on the Clinical Consult, we have put together previous episodes that talk about some of the more specifics with telepsych and behavioral consultation. So I'd encourage interested listeners to, to review those types of materials if they're interested. But I, I want to accentuate, Morgan, a point that that you were making earlier in the episode, which is a need for behavioral health consultation services to be high quality and to effectively meet patients' needs. And so there are a few journals in particular that I think are really helpful in that regard. And that's journals like the Clinical Practice in in Pediatric Psychology and the Journal of Pediatric Psychology are are really excellent resources for psychologists engaged in this type of practice to be considering. Before we wrap up, I want to just check in with you, Morgan, to see if there are other resources that you would consider uh, as, as high quality that you would recommend for listeners.
1: I love that you mentioned Division 54. Division 54 also has specialized um, chapters and units talking about rehab psychology or gender differences, lots of different things. And then there's also the Academy, the American Academy of Pediatrics. I wanted to just mention, you know, I work under this man, Keith Sleifer, and he wrote a book and it's called The Clinician's Guide to Helping Children Cope and Cooperate with Medical Care. And that's something that we definitely use the clinical skills that he highlights in the book. And that's something that's really important at Kennedy Krieger of making sure that we have evidence based modalities and that we're also tracking targets. And we do it mostly from a behavioral framework, but definitely adapt to each individual um, client's needs.
0: With that, we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode of The Clinical Consult, brought to you by the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. I'm Daniel Elkert, with sincere thanks to my guest, Dr. Morgan Buffano, for joining me today, and a reminder to our listeners that this and all episodes of The Clinical Consult are meant to provide general information for discussion purposes only, and should not be considered formal advice for clinical practice or as evidence of continuing education.